1: Heart and Hand is backed for the season by Ladbroke's. This season we have teamed up with Ladbrokes and we'll be bringing you plenty of specials. Our first is bet £5, get £20. This means if you deposit £5, Ladbrokes will add another £20 to your account. As a listener to this podcast, you can get this by following the link at bet.ibroxrocks.com. That's bet.ibrocksrocks.com. We'll be tweeting this bet £5, get £20 link, adding it on our Facebook, and we've put it in the description of this podcast too. Welcome to Heart and Hand Extra. My name's David Edgar. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, of course, we don't have a game this weekend, so we won't be doing our pre-match preview. What we're going to do instead is uh, have a wee delve into the history of Rangers fan culture. Now, this podcast entirely comes out of that, where it's a podcast by fans for fans and pretty much about fans and the fan uh, experience, the shared experience of being a supporter of Rangers. So I thought it might be interesting to, to look a little bit into the history of that side of things, into supporter culture. And today we're going to talk to regular podcast guest Mark Dingwall, who is of course uh, better known as the editor of Follow Follow. I wanted to talk to Mark about the origins of the fanzine, what gave him the idea to do it what made him think it was a good idea where did he get his his contributors all that kind of thing and also about how he physically put it together Uh, it was a really interesting chat we're going to speak to Mark later on about the advent of the digital era and of course uh, the Follow Follow website which is still going, still very popular followfollow.com but today uh, was about the, the history of the print edition I enjoyed it, I hope you do too Mark, what gave you the idea for the fanzine in the first place?
0: I got the idea from uh, essentially punk fanzines I'd always been into music And then my, my cousin John did Well, John started a fanzine called Stand And In The Lover And uh, when I saw that I then discovered that there were other punk fanzines on the go Most famously in Scotland uh, The one at that time would have been uh, uh, The Next Big Thing Which was based in
1: Gravesomite And all the up-and-coming groups so I've got, I've got all these kind of punk New Wave
0: fanzines. fanzines, so I was aware of them, and then I became aware of uh, Off the Ball, which was not the BBC programme Off the Ball, but a fanzine for football, football produced by some guys down in the West Midlands. One of them is Adrian Goldberg, who went on to the career, um, famously on, on Radio 5. Um, but my main contact was with a fan guy called Steve Beauchamp, or Beauchampi, as we would pronounce in Scotland. Um, then there was another fanzine called Fence Saturday comes from But the key big influences was that in terms of football was, you can do this. And very quickly, there was a whole plethora of uh, fanzines popped up. So that you know, was where
1: I got the idea from. From somebody who wasn't really kind of aware of stuff at the time, I was just a kid. Were there any other Rangers fans at the time? And certainly the first one I remember was follow, follow. But by the time I got to it, it was the early nineties; it was established. When when you started in nineteen eighty eight, were there any others? So, so the
0: first, the first Rangers fanzine that I'm aware of ever starting, you know, certainly the modern era was a thing called the "World Shut Your Mouth." It had appeared at the end of the season before us, and. Um, I didn't never saw it in sale of the ground, but I got a copy out of the Strathclyde Program Shop, which was a real hub for um, selling fanzines and, at that time. And uh, talking to the run by a Thistle fan called uh, Neil Kennedy, and so I asked Neil, you know, do you know these guys? You know, are they still going to come out or going to write? And he said, No, no, they've just disappeared. And the only thing he had heard was that the the main fella behind that had you know, got in here. Some other terrible You know Wasting malady So I never actually Met the guys Behind that one And uh, The first edition Of all of all Came out with its, You
1: know Blues the only colour That matters And not Matt Walters And I Yeah that was 1988 uh, As I say Now I know from doing this That there is A, a bit of a jump from be- From between When you go I've got this idea And then I'm actually Going to go and do it What was it that Prompted that How did you find out How to go about it?
0: Um, I'd actually been involved In In student politics For a while So In, in those days it, It's difficult to To remember How difficult thing It was to get Into, into print Or how true The stuff you could get Um all well, the young people Today don't even know What I could a machine is, Which was essentially um, Very thick Waxy um, Sheets of paper And uh you wrote on them and it you know it kind of created a and copy underneath you stuck it in a machine and you know as if by magic you know you could then print things out but it was very crude um, to get stuff
1: properly printed costed quite a bit of money to get it typeset
0: and uh, so what a lot of guys did was essentially they used um, they used typewriters you know and then um, took it in and, and got it Got it photographed and put together that way. So it was it was quite crude and time consuming then. Um, then you had the miracle of the Apple Macintosh, which uh, is a very small computer. Which was you know when I first started, college, to use the computer. Men essentially going to the computer department, signing in, they got an email frame and and then coding. You know, April on slash me, whatever. Um, so to actually have this tiny little machine which not only was able to lay out pages, but if you were rich enough or you knew somebody that worked in an office, there was this marvellous thing called the laser writer. And I think at that time the laser writer told it cost the three grand and that's what you know, thirty years ago. So you had to be very lucky to know somebody. And sure enough, I met somebody um in Edinburgh and uh, a guy that used to business. And uh, he had one so what I did for the first couple of editions was actually through to Edinburgh and it was like to get locked into his office overnight usually on a Saturday night or a Sunday night and I had to type in the whole thing from scratch and lay it out in the same night and print it off so you know if you made a
1: Contributors.
0: At the start, there was there was three of us that kind of you know kind of knocked the idea about. I'd said you know have you seen this and oh, I've been to that and so a couple of the guys you know had a few things to say. And then when we put the fans out the first, the first edition was sold at a game at Old Douglas Park in Hamilton. Um, right, kind of so many days I remember it and I just started selling it outside and of course. For the first couple of years people would actually say you, yeah, What's well, a fanzine? Or a fanzine? Mm. Um they not they didn't know because it was very much in a kind cult thing with the you know, the music and I believe in America it was you know, fanzines were a big thing with a cinema fans. So I just started selling outside um um outside uh, New Douglas Park and am sorry, old Douglas Park and I got my Fergie, <laughs> yes. Well, he, he came round the corner looking like, at a band of Happy Bucks and was following them. So I'm standing going, follow, follow, New Rangers fanzine, follow, follow, New Rangers fanzine. And he just walked within about 10 yards of me and said, follow, follow, fuck off. <laughs> and uh, The first but so not the last. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Needless <laughs> to say, all oh, these kids were like, eh, fuck off, you're so and so and whatever. And, uh, so that was the first day that it was sold, and then qu- quickly thereafter, you found um, you know I can't I can't remember who the who the first game at Ibrox was after that. But once you started selling the fans it was amazing how people got into it and, and seemed to like it. Um, one of the articles I put in was about the Stonehouse Ranger Supporters Club, and um, you know about how pissed they'd been at a game at Motherwell. So needless to say that uh, the club secretary came around and gave me a real berate and we used the problems you've caused us and that wasn't the on bus. And uh, of course, as I became friendly with George and I went to somebody club views, the guys who actually were on the bus went, Brilliant, that's the best thing that's ever happened to us. what I day we had in Motherwell <laughs> and have it we commemorated in print. Um, so that so, so told that me right a wee, You've got to be a wee bit careful about what you print because, you know, what you think is funny might come back on you. It's a bit like um, a couple of years later talking about Big um, like Andy Kennedy that played for Rangers who famously ended up going up with the model Maria Littaker and he ended up down at um, Birmingham City so one of our contributors said uh, Andy's doing that well at Birmingham the, the Birmingham City fans call him one lung <laughs> so the following week I've been absolutely outraged. Uncle of Andy, you know, uh, sort of basically decrying my Protestant heritage <laughs> for all of his work and what a dark time scumbag I was. <laughs> so again, you know, over the over the years there have been a few articles which uh, um you know, whether people just disagreed with them or whether incorrect. It was certainly it was a it's a wee bit of a learning curve to to have somebody, you know, and raving a couple of feet in front of your face. Yes. So so that was that was how we started. But very quickly what I found was After the fanzine came out, and and what I I still enjoy to this day is when you actually meet people and they say, I read the last edition, liked this, I didn't like that, I thought he had a point, I thought the point was rubbish or he got something wrong. And that feedback I've found over the years is that the people that take time to either write to you or seek you out, um, they're usually the ones whose whose feedback is... um, is valuable I mean anybody can do a one-liner anybody can send you a history letter to the post box or send you an email or abuse you on Facebook or whatever but the punters that actually think about it and seek you out to have a chat with you outside the ground um, I, I like to think of always taking them pretty seriously because they, you know, they've actually made a, a conscious decision to take a bit out of their day to come and find you
1: Yeah it's a, and it's direct feedback as you say so it's, it's, it's a really good learning experience for you in terms of what you want to put in it and speaking of that what you, you've always been the editor of fall of all you've always been the arbiter of what and, and i know from being a contributor back in the day that you were very hands-off um you would maybe say do you want to write an article on or i would say i have an, an idea for and that would be then then it was you would give the contributors the freedom to kind of go off and do what they wanted with it there was never a case of you Certainly I don't remember anything I wrote Or anything anyone I knew wrote Being chopped or changed or moved about What was your overall kind of style When it came to editorial content? Did you have a conscious decision of I want it to look and sound like this Or were you more This is just a big melting pot It's for Rangers fans Whatever people are coming to me with That's what we'll go in with Well uh, this might
0: sound familiar to Rangers fans today But Probably the main motivating thing for me was all my adult life I'd seen things written about Rangers fans and our experience and what we believed or we didn't believe or what we'd done or what we hadn't done. And it just doesn't it just didn't measure up to the people that I went to games with. It didn't measure up to my experience, you know, a lot of lies, a lot of stereotyping and stigmatizing the Rangers fans and I thought, well, at least in this we fanzine, you know, we're gonna print the truth and that's essentially been my, my view. The second thing that I learned within the first couple of seasons was, you know, I'm not a, a great writer. And I would say from the last work day, I would say for the course of the fanzine, if there was, I say, a 52-page issue of the fanzine, I probably, I probably wrote six, seven, eight pages of it because I've always been very, very blessed with contributors. Because what I noticed fairly quickly was that a lot of fanzines, they're started by guys who've got something to say. And it might only be two or three issues that they've got and a handful of anecdotes. Yeah. And once they've said that, the fanzine dies in the vine because they don't pull in new guys or they themselves aren't capable of addressing new issues because they're just not interested in their friends and family and what gets in the way. So I was very conscious from the start after the first few issues. I was thinking, you know, you know, I need to get some some other people involved in this, and to be fair, you know the um, you know. Eventually, I got a, got a post box um, in Glasgow, and you know the letters started dropping through pretty regularly. You know, with people wanting their say. I mean, you said earlier that I didn't heavily edit your stuff, so well, I certainly used to have to edit the Gubs and the Um you know, there's a lot of people known for the their wholehearted views. Um, but essentially, what I would do was, uh, you know, I would type the stuff in myself. And then after a while, as the fancy get like bigger, I would, I found a, I found a couple of young a girl called Jay, Jay, who's English, and Christine, the lovely buyers her so I would take the stuff around to their, their flat, and uh, they would type it all up in uh, eventually in a computer, but eventually I to get myself a, uh, a home computer. And uh, so she they would type it in the file um and then I would I would edit it that way, simply because of the, the volume of stuff that was that was coming in. So um always tried to kinda of fill fill the mag. I mean I found after a while Yeah, I remember um, You know So You know It's wee things like that But I mean, nothing You know It's not any major Design guru Or And so basically, man, this guy, Cam, the cook, who the print trade, and what I was going up, Cam was the printer, and he had to do an overnight shift because the the re the machine they had, you know, couldn't they do it, and I know hour, it took them overnight. And um, he used to he used to say, he said, there's an old printer trick. So you go to sleep with your head against the side of the machine, so that when you come to the end of a, a bale or a ream of paper, it it starts going with a different kind of pattern, and that wakes you up people okay.
1: For a lot of people listening to this, they may have grown up when FF was in its digital phase because I mean that's been coming up for twenty years now alone. I, I think it's it's important to maybe try and get across just how influential that this was to a generation of Rangers supporters. I mean, I wouldn't have got involved in what you know you and I would call activist um, Rangers. Issues, you know, such as the trust and whatnot, I wouldn't have been involved in that had I not discovered Follow Follow. And it, it was the same for pretty much everyone I knew in that circle. They'd come through that culture. There wouldn't be this podcast today, it wouldn't exist. People wouldn't be listening to it had I not bought a Follow Follow for the first time in 1994. And I remember at the time when I was buying it, and you got you met people when you were buying it because you would tend to buy it from the same person because they would be in the same area round the stadium, and you'd get talking, you'd talk to other people who were buying it, and from that, everything that that I've been involved in grew. But, when did you first begin to think, this is actually starting to have an influence, this is actually now starting to more and more people are reading this, and as a kind of further to that, when did the club start to take notice? I
0: would say that... the reaction in the media was quite interesting because, first of all, when they started mentioning it at all, and if you remember, uh, somebody did a survey and they reckoned that across Britain, you know, there was three or 400 fanzines going um, at one time, you know, virtually every club had one or two, you know, certainly you know, the, you know, the football league and the Scottish game. They reckoned it was somewhere between two and three million of these things were getting sold, you know, throughout the United Kingdom. So obviously they had an effect Effect on the fans that were match going fans. Maybe not every fan bought one, but you know, there was enough of them to, to make an entry, uh, a ripple in the pond. So it started off the mainstream media kind of said, you know, you know uh, people that do fanzines, you know, the kind of half wits and and you know, daft rebels that don't know what they're talking about, you know, the with delusions of adequacy, all this kind of stuff." And then when they saw that this more kind of rock and roll attitude to journalism something couldn't ignore. They started to put in, you know, fanzine type things into their papers. The Daily Record did a kind of supplement for a few years, which was, you know, four or uh, sorry, about four or eight pages at times. So it's definitely influenced, you know, how how football's reported has become less uh, less reverent, uh, more punchy. And because you know, well, whether in those days it was a fanzine or today, you know, the and to were commonplace amongst the fans then had voices whether it was follow follow or you know it was a whole plethora uh, uh, Rangers fanzines that that, um, that came about at that time um, a bit later was uh, number one which again that one lasted quite, quite a while as well just when it a few years ago um, so yet yeah, you had it on a massive scale and I think it kind of kept started fans into thinking you know we don't need to sit and take this if I was been genuine I would probably say start the fans, when we did, you know, was certainly wasn't that active master stroke in that point. But obviously, you know, with whole soonest revolution and popular master at nine and a row, it was very much there, That glory, glory, Glasgow Rangers and you could you know, you're really enjoying your football and new signings and, and winning the league and, and all that kind of stuff. Um so that there was that one part of it where you were having your revenge in the rest of Scottish football, but you know, kind of giving them a bit of a kick in, and you know, Celtic at that time were just producing so many, so many opportunities, it was actually, it was actually a bit crowed to keep on kicking them, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who in the right mind would find players called Wayne Biggins or Raphael Schein? Yes. You know, maybe it's complete open goals. Um, so I would say that, you know, for the first eight, nine seasons, maybe a bit longer, you know, that was the kind of tone, you we were having a laugh, we were fighting back against the stereotype and the Rangers fans we were running campaigns. And it was only I mean for me it was really what should have been the ten and a row season. That was when I really started to turn against Murray. Not specifically because of that season, but i started to see things wrong with the club that I'd never noticed before. Because as a fan in the past, who even knew the name of directors? Nobody. Nobody. No. Um you know, you, you might have known John Lawrence was a chairman, or Ray Simpson was a chairman, or John Payton was a chairman. That was it. people were faithless. Yeah, that was it. But his, his, his image and the way he was taking the pub, I just suddenly started to think, you know, um, especially around the Tory Andrew Flo Simon, I just thought to myself, you know, in my head, I can't explain why this makes any sort of, but, you know, this is too much money, we'll never get it back, and it's very dangerous. And after that question came into my head, you know, all the other doubts started, you know, that had been pinging away, they really started to come to the forefront. And people will say, "Follow, follow." For quite a period of it, became quite a dark fanzine because we'd seen what the danger was in the club, as well as the main enemy. We saw that the way the club was been run was becoming a problem. Um, but you know what? I'd rather have done that than just sat back and said, well, we'll just have a laugh and a joke. You know, I think the thing that I've always been proud of is that, you know, if there's a campaign that's worth of merit, then we back it, you know, whether it's done by our
1: fans or other fans. One of the things that I thought was interesting about the fanzine was, as you see, it had that mix of serious articles, jokey articles, things about, uh, things about um, supporters, clubs, etc., cartoons, um, some of which there was a guy you had called, was it Orion, um, who who was a genius and is still responsible to this day for the funniest cartoon I have ever seen which was, it's a picture of a guy holding, there's the back end of a cow and there's a guy holding a banjo and on the back of his shot it says Van Vossen and the caption read Peter had nothing personal against the beast but he had a point to prove (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just fantastic, but um, you you had this mixture of stuff. Oh,
0: oh, 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 what I find is that there's um, there, there are characters kind of float in and out of the fanzine the way that players float in and out of the team. Like, I mean, one of the one of the earliest cartoonists was a guy called Sam Scotland, who came from around uh, kind of Thaneus area in Glasgow. Did some did some stuff for a couple of seasons, then just disappeared overnight. Never found out why. Never seen him again. Tried to find him, disappeared. Uh, There was a young guy with the uh, slightly unusual name of Dominic who was through in Edinburgh. He sent me stuff, talked to him a bit, and then just, I don't know whether it was, you know, going to uni or whatever, there was just one season he didn't reappear again. And, you know, I wrote to him and I phoned the number I had for him and it was dead and the letters got returned and he just moved on. Um, You know, a boy called Brandon Ross wrote for many years. Remember him, yeah. Boy for camp. Boy, for drum chapel, travelled the world, seen a few things, um, and then just one one day, you know, the week in a of contributors like other would send out saying there's a new issue coming out. I got the term, you know, gone away, not known at this address. So you know, it's you know, it's, the people, you know, while well, some of the, the contributors are, are there all the time and they've got something to say, and uh, you know, that's uh, you know, that's the way that there are some people who you know, they shooting staff. You know, they're there for a couple of years and then we move on. You and you just you just gotta accept that, you know, it's like it's their life cycle as being a fan. Um I can be a wee bit boring at this point. What I found with uh what interests me my interests other fans I don't know. But when the fanzine started to fade, <clears throat> I still had uh, the thing in the fanzine world was you always swapped with other people, so I would get you on what knuckles fanzines and I would send them follow, follow and Whoever. and whoever. Uh, so I decided I got out the old when Saturday, when Saturday comes. And I wrote to virtually everybody that had ever produced the fanzine and just said, are still going? Do you want to keep up the swaps? If you've given up, I'd be interested to know what you're doing now and why you gave it up. And overwhelmingly it just was, you know, said all we had to say. We grew up our contributors we got old together or we you know, started getting married or pressure of luck. Um that smaller club that tended to be a lot of the guys were involved in fanzines are now editing programmes or contributing programmes, um, or working for the local paper. So it was definitely the fanzine thing for, for a lot of guys was it was something it was a right of passage and being into football, a bit like you know, maybe somebody had a, had a favourite punk band and decided to do a you know, for strangler fanzine or or a more generic one. So you know, for me it's been something where I love having no one say, you know, and there's always been something really magical to me about the written word, but I've always loved that. And one of the peculiar things I find is even though the fanzine's designed and you send it away, it never feels real and you can never know how things are going to work until you actually get it in your hands. You know, that that makes sound strange a over the years and you know, doing you know, you never actually know what it's going to look like until you get it back. Mm-hmm. Because you know, it's just sometimes things work and they don't work or, you know, they come out a different way. So there's always been a bit of magic and the thing I say to people is if I look at what's been on in the mainstream media, people are talking about Rangers and they're talking about Rangers fans. I would love to know that in fifty years or hundred years when somebody's writing about Rangers fans and they do a bit of research maybe they find a pile of fans in the Mitchell Library or the the other libraries that were supplied that they'll go oh that's what Rangers fans actually thought
1: mm. here's a voice that says official version's one thing the real story
0: amongst the fans was this is how they felt yeah. you know it's making our mark on you know it's leaving a bit of a trace of you know well the media doesn't speak for us you know we can speak for ourselves and you know quite often it's funny it's jocular it's you know there's a few swear words but you know most of the stuff you know, fan fans are, are always kind of taken down, as has been fodder or others, they're so easy to manipulate. One thing I find, you find talent in the most mysterious places, you know, guys that are just utterly work-a-day jobs that they're, they're fantastic writers because they're writing about the things they
1: are. Yeah. Um, and like I say, the, what you just described there could be this podcast because it's exactly the same, that's the motivation behind it, of just that we don't hear what I think is the Rangers' support... Uh... Experience in the media, and they don't even try anymore. But um, that's that's another thing, and it's the same thing with us. At least people, we we can see in mitigation. Here is a stack of evidence that will tell you much more accurately what it was like to be a ranger supporter in this period than that. Now we'll talk at probably one of the next or, or the one after international breaks. So I don't want to do it today. I don't want to, um, and we'll drop in our one in you end for the episode, Mark. I, I don't want to shoot my bolt too early. Um, with, with thank you. Um, with the digital edition, because it's it's a whole different story and it deserves its own chapter, and we will we will do that. But there was a time where they ran side by side with each other. But then, as as followfollow dot com grew to what it is today, and it's massively influenced. Even people that don't like it know what it is, and other clubs know what it is. Uh, it's become a byword for a place where Rangers fans go on the internet. So as it grew, you decided to put the, the the print fanzine Eventually, you decided to stop doing it. Uh, and I think this is a good no, time to do well, it.
0: That, that's not really sort the What I found was, <clears throat> and anybody you talked to who was involved in the um, in the kind of campaign against you know you know, Charles Green and these deals and these people, what I found was <clears throat> one I had information in my head that I didn't really feel, you know, with my sources, that I wanted to put in the fanzine. Uh, and I thought that it would be, you kind know, of breaking some trust by doing that. And also thought it would be a bit of a, break like, a trust by putting it out, you know, producing a fanzine, but not actually saying, you know, exactly what we were up to, uh, or bits and pieces. And then there's also, the became, when it comes towards the climax in these campaigns, you know, people have only given so much time in their lives that you know. If you're, if you're not a full timer actor, it becomes intensely time consuming you know, all the different, um, you know, the campaigning and the meetings, you know, all the rest of it. And so, you know, I mean, I found and you know, Chris Graham and Mike and you know the people for the Trust and some of the guys for Rangers Host, it takes over your life. So for that kind of, I would say, you know, about two two years. Anymore. It was so serious about the club you know, that you had to defeat these people. So the fans went about bit by the by. I mean, that still on what you're I've still got things I want to say, and I've been saying to people. we see our club what we experience in our words and it's you know it might end up getting thrown out but I just think there'll be you know for years to come there'll be people rediscovering um, you know some some fantastic writing that we've had in that who've got real talent of campaign of the globalizing the club's history. You know that's what I loved with that mix. It wasn't just the one thing, it was you know it was the campaign and the history, of the commentary, the you know, the frustration with players. All that you could get in their hands and, and, and that's what I love about it.
1: So that was part one of our discussion with Mark about the the history of Follow Follow. And in the next one, which will happen at one of the next international breaks, we'll discuss the emergence, the growth, the influence of uh, followfollow.com, particularly the message board and the effect that it's had, both good and bad, but uh, everything involved in that and uh, what goes into producing it and keeping it running on a daily basis. One of the things... I hope people take from this, and I hope people take it from the podcast too, is if you have an idea, just go and do it. And it's never been easier. If you have an idea for a podcast, go and do it. If you have an idea for a blog, go and do it. And don't worry about, is this going to be big? If you go into something like this, a creative enterprise of any kind, by thinking, it would be great if everybody read what I had to say, or heard what I had to say, it won't work, because you're doing it for the wrong reasons, but if you think, I think I've got something interesting and important to say, then do it, get it out there, and don't worry about finding an audience, if it's good, it'll find an audience, and if it d- if it isn't, you'll still have done it it's still something you can be proud of but the key thing is just for it to be honest don't go into it because you think I would like people to know who I am that's, that's not the right reason to do it and people will see through that Rangers fans are fantastic at spotting inauthenticity and they will know that your motivations aren't the right ones but if you go in and you think there's something that's not being done there's something that I'm good at that I think I could do you hear something from another club or from another medium and you think, why doesn't someone do that for Rangers? You do it. Get friends together. You'll have a lot of fun, trust me. It can be really influential the way that Mark's, uh, Mark's legacy, I think, will prove to be incredibly influential already is for me and my life was altered by picking up a, a follow follow that time back in 1994 so yeah just just go ahead and do it and even if you do a blog and it gets 200 readers but it gets 200 readers every time you do it then that's 200 people who are out there listening and looking forward to reading what you produce and if you, you put it out there and it gets 200,000, fantastic. It doesn't matter. If it's honest and it's genuine and it's something you believe in, then it's valuable and it's worthwhile. It's never been easier. Contact me, contact Mark, contact anyone who's done stuff like this in the past. We will be happy to help you because something else, is, as Mark touched on there, this is all built on supporter culture. You help each other. You don't go, no, no, I'm the, the guy who does that and no one else can. That's not what it's for, and it's it's entirely about community. So if you feel that you've got something to say, something you want to say, then by all means, please get in touch with me. It's easy enough. I'm at uh, ibroxrocks on Twitter. That's at ibroxrocks. Or you can go to the, the Heart and Hand Facebook page, which is just Heart and Hand uh, on Facebook. Just search for it, the Rangers podcast. I really enjoyed that. I hope you guys did too. My name's David Edgar, and I'll talk to you again next week. Cheers. Bye. Oh, In hand is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Sports Social Podcast Network.